It's good to be with you. For those of you that don't know who I am, my name is Eileen. Um, I help out around here at the Grove doing various things. Uh, I like people a lot, and I work with college students as my job job. So um, it's great to see you. Great to be here. Uh, we've been walking around in the story of Ruth now. This is the second week. We kicked it off last week. Um, if you're, you're here for the first time, you haven't missed a lot, but I'll catch you up. Um, we got two more weeks to go, and this is one of those stories that every time you read it, you discover a little bit more about God, and it's, it's so cool. Um, but I'm going to do a little recap. This, uh, the life of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz is a true story, for one. A lot of times we read this as if it's like, uh, uh, this one would probably be a soap opera or, or a movie. Uh, but these are real people. This is a historical account. Um, and it occurred during the time of Judges, which we won't get too deep into that. But basically, um, Israel had gone off the chain and was just doing all sorts of wrong stuff. So God would send judges to judge his nation to chase them back to him. Maybe we'll get into judges down the road, but that's what you need to know. Israel was not doing what God called them to do. They were adopting a bunch of beliefs and practices that did not honor him. Matter of fact, um, were very detrimental to their culture, and that's where we find this um, account, and we see these uh, three people that are different from the rebellion of Israel. They are pictures of God's strong love. They're pictures of God's character. And that's what makes Ruth, one of the reasons, a really cool story. Um, Kristen did a fabulous job of introducing last week, and she walked through uh, four points that, that is found in this narrative. Uh, pain, Naomi and Ruth lost their husbands. Uh, Naomi lost um, her only kinsmen in a foreign nation. And she has to leave that nation to go back for security and support to her home country, her hometown. Um, so they experience great pain. But then Ruth shows immense love um, as she covenants to Naomi. And the covenant is, is this beautiful um, commitment put into words and often actions, similar to like marriage vows. That's a type of covenant. Um, but uh, Ruth's covenant is super cool because she covenants to Naomi's God, Naomi, and then Naomi's people. Even after Naomi passes away, she says, I will continue to covenant with your people. And that's stronger than marriage vows. Marriage vows are only until death do you part, right? And then we see uh, the promise of purpose coming in, this, this purposeful life. Um, we'll get more to the latter two points in the next couple weeks. Today, we're going to focus in on love. Um, the type of love that Ruth showed Naomi is this covenantal love. And there's not really a, an English word that really covers all of its aspects. The Hebrew word is chesed. Um, and I'm probably going to forget the part a few times. So just, you know, don't throw rocks at me. But this chesed love in Hebrew uh, is, is untranslatable into English. Matter of fact, in 
a bunch of uh, different Bible translations. It's translated 169 different ways um, in six languages. Like, it's just a word that we don't have in our vernacular that, that measures up to this Hebrew word. Um, it's, it's, it's a strong relational term that's wrapped up in, in, a cl- in a cluster of concepts of all the positive attributes of God. So those include love, mercy, grace, kindness, goodness, benevolence, loyalty, and covenant faithfulness. So that one word means all that plus more. So that's why we can't really just translate it into, oh, it's love. It's not. It's more than love. It trumps love. But for the sake of ease in in conversation, we'll call it um, this, this kindly love, this covenant love. So when you hear that today as we talk, think more than that. But that is what I'm going to say. So when you have this chesed love for someone, it's like saying to them, my love for you is not based on you at all. Matter of fact, it's not even based on how I feel about you right now. It's a commitment to you because of who we are in this community. So uh, if you've ever had a very close friend where you've been through thick and thin, and sometimes you're the besties and sometimes you're the frenemies, but at the end of it all, you're always loving each other. That is, uh, uh, can be considered an example of, of, of chesed love. If you're married, this is the vow you take till, uh, through rich or poor, sickness, health, till death do you part. You're making a, a commitment to that specific person. No matter what, that's an example of chesed love. When you have kids, if you have those, um, and maybe even some of your fur babies. I don't know. Those are, you know, it's legal to get rid of those. So I don't know. Um, your kids, if you just, you know, sell those, you get in trouble on the dark web. But if you have ever had a child who's just the cutest little bundle of joy one day, and then the next day just so defiant, you're, you're, you're perusing, uh, like, the dark webs. And how much can I get for a little ginger kid? I don't know but you love them through it. You love when they are defiant. You're still loving them because you want to to guide and mold them into the person you know that they have the potential to be. That's chesed love. So what we see um, Ruth uh, showing Naomi is this beautiful character of God. Now today, um, we're going to look into uh, the different character of Boaz. Um, oh, I skipped the part. I don't want to skip this part because it's important. There's examples of a said love all through the all through the Bible. Uh, the first one is right after the Israelites have been rescued from Egypt. If you haven't read that story, it's in Exodus towards the beginning of the Old Testament. Um, they're out in the desert. Moses has gone up to the top of a mountain to get uh, basically God's word for them, how they, are sh- how they should live. In the meantime, they're down uh, celebrating their freedom by uh, sacrificing to false gods. And this is what God says. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Chesed is the word used there. And faithfulness, keeping steadfast love a thousand generations, knowing that his newly freed people were just running back to their idols. 
Now, again, this is an example of love that goes deeper than what you do and what you're capable of. This is God looking down saying, defiance, but I know you can be better. I can lead you to better. Another uh, implication of God's chesed love is found in the laws that he wrote for his people. One of them we'll be looking at today is a law that's called gleaning. And what this is, if if you were um, orphaned or uh, a widow or impoverished, it was a law that bound field owners and harvesters to leave the edges of their field um, unharvested so that uh, these impoverished people, these people uh, that, that didn't uh, have security could go glean or pick that wheat, barley, whatever you're growing to have food. It's like a welfare system that worked. Um, so we see... Uh, you couldn't even go back if you dropped some grain. You had to leave that. And that's God's chesed love for the, the least of these, for the lesser, for those that didn't have anyone to support them. And then as we read today in our call to worship, we, we see uh, the psalmist proclaiming God's chesed love. His, his love endures forever. And that's not just like forever in our terms, forever in our terms like until I die. That's forever in God's terms, eternity, forever, forever, ever, ever, right? So God deliberately, oh, sorry, um, God made the heavens, the sun, everything that we see in creation, all the food that he provides to all the creatures on earth, delivering people from slavery, overthrowing tyrants um, that opposed his way, giving people land all because of his chesed. So we see uh, this run through the Old Testament and then in the incarnate Christ, ultimately the explanation point lands there. So Christ embodies this chesed love. So what we're going to do today, we're going to meander through the field with Ruth and we're going to see how God's chesed love shows up in an interaction with a uh, prominent figure in Bethlehem, which is the town that she's in, and how he shows her this kindly love and character of God through everyday ordinary means, which is our call, right? If you're of the family of God, we are to show God's untranslatable, indescribable love through ordinary means, which is so cool. So let's read chapter 2. It's going to be on the screen, or if you have a glowing Bible or one of those old school paper Bibles, you can read that too. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's not very long, so stay with me. Don't play Candy Crush or whatever you do on your phone. Now, Naomi had a relative, sorry, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, that is an aside right there. I'm just going to put a kind of a period, strong pause there. That's the narrator telling the reader. Now we're into uh, the, the, the account of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. So that's a little bit of foreshadowing. You'll see how that comes to play later. And Ruth the Moabite, whose name, oh, sorry. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she, she said to her, go, my daughter. 
So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was one of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who is in charge of the reapers answered, She is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she had continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. I have not charged, have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed her... Excuse me. And he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied. And she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles of her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So he gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what, what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Now her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you, been, have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Noemi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest another field you be assaulted. So keep close to his young women, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So what we see here is this account of Ruth um, understanding her stature as a foreigner, someone who is an outcast, but also understanding that under the laws that have been put in place by God through those he's put in charge, that she is entitled to glean. So she takes some initiative. She said, you know, Naomi, we need food. I'm younger. I'm going to go glean. So what we start to see here is God's um, 
chesed being veiled in the normal every day. And when I say that, what I mean is oftentimes God tends to work through our normal lives doing things that at the time may seem, you know, not really that important. But if you follow the trail through its effects on everything else, when you get to the end of that stream, you'll find it's at a, a huge headwater of effect. So I want you to remember that as we walk through some of this in our own lives, what may be seemingly insignificant could be a seed that births a giant tree that puts thousands of fruit full of seed out there. That's what God's chesed love does. So we're journeying through this time. They've just arrived. The, the harvest has started. And what's really cool in chapter 1, Naomi hears about this harvest. And the way it's described is God visited his people and blessed them with food. Like not like, okay, the famine's over in you know, Bethlehem. It's no, Naomi heard that God visited his people. So that's an important little tidbit too. So she's returning because God is once again, evident in her town, but also he's brought uh, a relief from this, this famine. So we'll pick it up. Ruth has gone to glean. She's just kind of, I think, meandering around in my mind. It doesn't say this, but she's just kind of looking around. Like, okay, this is fielded right here. Maybe she just went to the closest one. We don't know. But she found herself. She happened to find the field that belonged to Boaz. Now, the Hebrew here is very uh, ironic and redundant. The, the, the writer does it on purpose. The words used in Hebrew is sh- her chance chanced upon Boaz's field, which means she had a stroke of luck. It's ironic because um, the, the writer in, in the culture, they don't believe in luck. Matter of fact, there's a proverb, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. They fully believed in God's sovereignty, his control, his His kindly love, giving every instance to us. But he used it as a, as a narrative tool to be like, hey, she happened upon Boaz's field. Now, remember back that first verse? Who's Boaz? He's a relative of Elimelech, and that's important. Now, this is probably my favorite part right here as I read it. So she happened upon the field, and then the, the narrator is like, and behold, Boaz is visiting from Bethlehem. And it's like, okay. So she happened upon her kinsman redeemer's field. And behold, he just decides to show up in his fields that day to check in on his folks. So it's interesting that we see God placing together pieces. In this seemingly ordinary, if you're Ruth, you have no idea. She didn't know who Boaz is. Boaz didn't know really that this was Ruth yet. They happened to intersect on this field doing normal stuff, laborious stuff, boring stuff, right? So he sees Ruth. She's a foreigner. She does not look like an Israelite. She looks like a Moabite. And side note, Israelites didn't like Moabites. Moabites were the people that God commanded them to stay away from, to not adopt their practices, bad influences, um, but they did anyway, hence the, the judges. So here's this outside foreigner person that a lot of people are like, ugh, Moabite. And he notices her and he asks his foreman, hey, who's, whose woman or whose young woman is that? Now that's not a 
a, uh, um, like that's not a detrimental comment. I forget the word. That's not uh, what he's doing there. Is he's concerned? He's like, well, who is she, and and why is she alone? She's gleaning. Apparently, he knows that she's in need. The foreman tells, him, well, that's a young Moabite woman that came back with Naomi um, from Moab. Notice the redundancy there too. He's making it a point. She's a foreigner. She's an outsider. She's not one of us. Um, she's been working hard. But she has to glean in the sheaves. Now, I did read some commentaries here, and I don't know if this is worth saying. It's contested whether she actually asked that or not. Um, but we'll get back to that in a minute. So sheaths. This is when uh, the, the reapers would go through the field. They're collecting, cutting grain, putting them into bundles for the people behind them to collect, to take to where they beat them out. So if you were reaping the sheaves, you were basically going behind people that already done a lot of the hard work for you. So that's important. Store that for later. Um, so Boaz walks over to Ruth, and he, the nobleman, initiates a conversation with her. That's not really done in propriety these days. So he says to her, now listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one. Keep close to my young women. Um, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Uh, and when they're thirsty, when you are thirsty, go to vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. So Boaz breaks the ice. He sets himself on a level where he can have a conversation with this Moabite young woman. Then he calls her my daughter. Now this is weird in our ears as, as first world 21st century folks. Like It's kind of weird if this older dude calls you daughter and he's not your dad. But again, look through the lenses of their culture. What he was doing there was showing his respect for her well-being and his intention um, to break down barriers that she was a foreigner and show that he is completely willing, like a loving father would be, uh, to protect and give her resources. So in that one title, he's telling her and everyone else around her all of that. He's recognizing that she's a Moabite and then stepping into it and said, but I'm still going to love and care for you. Now, who does that sound like? Sounds like God and our call to worship. Sounds like Christ. So there's, a, there's four statements that he says in this one little, this one little interaction. Um, don't go anywhere else to glean. Don't leave my fields protection, oversight. Um, Attach yourself to my female servants. We can read into that what you will. Maybe that's, they're going to show her the way. They're safer. Um, she also, if she's in that group of uh, female servants, people will know, okay, that's Boaz's women. Hands off. Um, don't worry about harassment. I've already taken care of that. First sexual harassment clause right there in the Bible. Boom. Don't mess with her because then you'd have to deal with consequences with me. That's huge. Again, Moabite, lesser than. It wouldn't have been a thing to see someone harassing a Moabite woman and be like, yep, that's normal. They deserve that. But we're seeing uh, Boaz step in and say, nope, 
hands off, treat her like one of my women workers. And then the last one's pretty significant. Um, Ruth may drink freely of the water that's provided for Boaz's regular workers. And in fact, Boaz asked his young men to serve her. In this culture, foreigners, immigrants, lesser than people would serve those higher in stature, not the other way around. And also this water was, was very valuable because they would have to collect it prior to going to the field. There's no well at the field. They put it in vessels and carried it to where they were going. So it was very valuable. And here Boaz is sharing this valuable water with Ruth, the Moabite. Ruth's response shows her character. She fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? So she, she knows her place according to culture, but she also understands the laws of gleaning. But what she does uh, that shows her immense character is she doesn't expect anything from it. She knows it's the law to take care of her, but she doesn't expect it. She bows humbly at, at Boaz's generosity. So Boaz responds. He answers her. I've heard that about all that you've done for my relative Naomi. So he's heard of Ruth. So possibly he's calculating when he walks up on his field, sees this young Moabite woman saying, hmm, I wonder and then when she's like, I'm Ruth, he's like, I do know you. I have heard of you. And what you've done is astounding. You've shown the chesed love to my relative Naomi. And you're a foreigner that's not supposed to know it. So what we see here are two people being connected by God that have immense potential to plant a seed that flows through history. So he blesses her. He says, the Lord repay you for what you've done. A full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, whose, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now, I want to say something about this. I know I'm real bad when someone's in need. The, one of my first Christianese responses, man, I'll pray for you. And I really try to. Like, usually, I, I, a long time ago, I changed that from I'll pray to, like, hey, let's pray now. Can I pray with you now? And then oftentimes, busyness and I'm not demonizing this, we're all way too busy, but busyness takes over, and then that might be the last prayer you pray with that person if they're a stranger. And then that's the deed. What we see Boaz do here, he's blessing her, praying for her, may God bless you, and then he blesses her with the things God has given him, the tools God's given him to bless her with. So he goes, first step is great, bless them, pray for them, acknowledge God's work in their life. Then he takes a step further and says, and I'm going to physically give you the things you need as that blessing. So he's, I don't know, fulfilling the prayer that he asks. Like, God bless her, and boom, here's the blessing. So maybe we should take note of how that action happened. When we pray for people, for whatever it may be, maybe the next step of that prayer is then blessing them with what they need if we have it. And that's hard. Some time goes by. She goes back to the field. She works. Then it's dinner time. Um, he tells Ruth, come here. Eat some bread. Dip your morsel into the wine. So she sat beside the reapers. Equal footing. Foreigners wouldn't have been allowed to do that. 
Um, they wouldn't even been fed, actually. They would have been gleaning. That's where their food comes from. Um, he passed to her prepared food, roasted grain, um, and she ate until she was satisfied and had some left over. In the ancient Near East, meals were more than just satisfying your hunger. And I love this theology. It's a theology of the table. Food is, is like paramount to the survival of any, anything. But in humanity, food is multifaceted. You're not only just feeding your belly, you're feeding your soul, your mind. You're feeding your relationships. You're, you're learning how to become part of a community. Um, that's what's happening here. Boaz is once again making a statement with his actions, but also educating those under him that this Moabite woman is loved by God too. So there's a few things that we should notice about this. He invites her in, an outsider into the inner circle. Um, he encourages, encourages her to share the food that's prepared for the workers that he had not planned to share, right? Um, then he says, dip your morsel into the wine. Now, you may miss this. You're like, oh, yeah, you go to Carabas. I got the stuff. You dip it, boom, tastes better. What was probably happening is he had a, a, like a little bit nicer food, potentially, and a lot of the time, their meal, meal day, would have just been bread, and it might have been dry or whatever, and he wanted her to have uh, nicer food. He's, again, lavishing upon them. So this chesed is flowing out of every piece of the normal, everyday thing. Um, he served her this time. It wasn't his young men. Boaz, the field owner, gave her bread. Now, who does that sound like? Jesus in the upper room. And then he gives her enough to satisfy her with leftovers. In my small group last week, one of my students pointed out, I was like, man, that's a gospel right there. He gave her more than enough when she didn't ask for it. And I'm like, yep, stealing that. Thanks, Jeremiah. Um, so in short, Boaz is living out the biblical understanding of chesed in the way he was living. And I'd like to think he was doing it on purpose. It's possible that he wasn't. He was just a good guy, living according to the law, loving his God through the way he lived. And I guess in that, you are doing it. He was purposeful in the way he lived. And this is what we're called to. So then after the food, uh, oh, this one right here, this is what got me, because everybody paints Ruth as this love story and blah, blah, blah. It wasn't a love story yet. The language used has no hint of romantic interest at all on either side. At this point, they're basically strangers that have met. One's an employer of this newly hired woman. There's no romance, so we can't get that twisted and turn it into a soap opera yet. So what is happening, though, is Boaz is going out of his way to break racial barriers, break socioeconomic barriers, give her what she needs and then some, as this gracious, loving, generous noble in, in Bethlehem um, that, whether he knows it or not, is painting a beautiful picture of God's love for humanity, for, his, for Israel. Um, so then they got done eating. She goes back to the field. And before they go, Boaz is like, wait, wait, one more thing. Let Ruth glean among the sheaves and don't reproach her. Don't get onto her. Now, this is not done. 
Because you got the reapers, they've worked super hard gathering this harvest, placing them in the bundles. Gleaners are supposed to stay on the outside where, you know, there's stuff there, but eh, don't mess with this. This is what we're selling or storing or using. And whether she asked for it or not is not the point. The point is Boaz gave it to her. And then he goes further and said, you know, let her uh, glean among the sheaves, then pull some out from the bundles and leave it for her. She doesn't have to cut it off herself. So he is handing her left and right these out of, out of just not normal gifts of grace and charity and generosity. And from our eyes looking back, just submerged and saturated in the love of Jesus is what we see. So the results of, of this day's work, the average gleaner would glean enough to feed their family that day, maybe more uh, the next day, but that's about it. So they'd have to go glean every day if they wanted to eat. The results of, of Ruth's uh, gleaning that day was, uh, and I'm going to say this wrong, Ipa, right? Someone who knows Hebrew, tell me. Thank you, sir. Um, weighed anywhere from 30 to 50 pounds, depending on how, who measures your Ipa. All right? So it's astonishing that she gleaned that much, and then it's also astonishing that she carried that bag of food home. So you're seeing the generosity of, of Boaz here. She should have carried about a liter of food home, enough to make some bread to feed them that night. And she carried 30 to 50 pounds home, which is probably enough to feed them for a month or more. So he's answering the blessing. God bless Ruth and Naomi. All right, Ruth, here you go. I'm blessing you because I pray God that would bless you. She gets home. Naomi, like any mother will do, how was your first day at work? Not like that. But she was like, okay, where'd you glean today? What happened, right? She sees the hall, and she's like, blessed be the man that took notice of you. Oh, my goodness. Like, how generous is he? And she's probably curious, like, who is, who is that generous in Bethlehem? I know everybody, right? Ruth's response is, his name is Boaz. And he, I bet Ruth was just as excited. Like, he's super nice, such a cool guy. He's nice to all his workers. He let me eat with like. They don't have this in there, but in my mind, like, I know what I would do if I were Ruth. I'd be like, I want to tell you all about what happened today. It was not what I expected when I got up this morning. When Naomi realizes the significance of this meaning, she immediately sees what's going on. Because she prayed, in chapter 1, we, we see that she prayed to God that he would match Ruth's chesed for her by granting her a family and a house to rest in. So Naomi is connecting. She called God to bless Ruth for covenanting with, Na with, with her, and she's starting to see it happen. So then Naomi shares who Boaz is. He said, Boaz is a relative of Elimelech, and he's a, he's a redeemer. So what a kinsman redeemer is, is someone in the family who's designated if um, a husband dies and leaves a widow, that they are to take that widow as their wife so that there can be a continuum of the lineage through sons. Because in this culture, 
um, that was paramount, that your, your name continues through the generations. So that Boaz, being a nobleman, being one of the top in Bethlehem, also being a kinsman redeemer, meeting Ruth in the field is completely significant, and Naomi does not miss it. Excuse me. <clears throat> so what we have just seen as we are walking through the fields with these, these people is God's chesed um, just saturating the everydayness of life. We see um, Boaz using his stature, his generosity, his stuff, even his workers as the tools to paint a picture for Ruth, that she is loved despite being a foreigner that should be hated, that she is welcome, that she will be cared for, and even more to that point, that he will care for Naomi as well. So he's sending a message. And again, none of this is romantic yet. We'll get to that next week. Um, and it, it paints this beautiful picture of Christ. Now, it's easy for us. Hindsight's always crystal. So we're looking at it, we're like, yeah, man, Jesus all over the place. But if you read this at the time it was written, you just thought, man, this, it would have pointed you to God for sure. Um, but maybe not the Messiah to come. So God's chesed in his actions, bows and roots, are types. They're examples to us of who Jesus is and who he empowers us and calls us to be. So um, in, in Ruth 1, she covenants to Naomi even after death. Jesus covenants with those that would believe and defeats death for them for all eternity. Boaz notices Ruth. Jesus knows us. Boaz has compassion for the foreigner and the outcast. Jesus goes as far as to love those who hate him. Not just outcasts, but enemies. Even those who killed him. Boaz, has, uh, Boaz calls Ruth daughter. Jesus calls us bride. Boaz invites Ruth to sit and eat and serves her. Jesus serves the bread of life and the eternal water to us in himself and through himself. Boaz's provision is more than enough. Jesus' provision is infinite. Boaz is willing uh, prov provision uh, is through great expense to himself, and he does it uh, excitedly, it seems. Jesus, it cost him his life, and he walked straight to the cross the 30-something years he was on earth, never faulted. When Jesus went to the cross, God put his incarnate chesed on display for all humanity to see. He wanted to show creation, but specifically humanity, his loyalty, his kindness, his grace, his mercy, his generosity, his unshakable commitment and covenant that he made in Genesis 3 when he told the serpent, you're going to be destroyed by the one who saves, and I will see it through. And he did it in such an unremarkable way, by becoming the very creation that defied him, by becoming the sinful, uh, by putting the shell of, of man 
who has a propensity to be sinful but being perfect. Now, if you're the eternal God, creator of all things, you could have done it any number of ways. But he decided to do it in the everydayness, in the flesh, in the, the dirty, icky, mucky, awkward, joyful, human way. By becoming a baby and growing up and walking to the cross. And this is what Jesus calls us to. Now remember, chesed is this covenant love, and it is shown through living out and doing deeds. And I want you to hear deeds like James' deeds. Faith without deeds is a dead faith. It doesn't mean your deeds save you. It means you've been rescued, you've been uh, lavished upon by uh, Jesus, and you want to respond by working harder for him. Earns you nothing. You got nothing to give. You're like Ruth. You have nothing. You showed up to the field with an empty sack, hoping you might get enough food for that day. And he gives you food for a month. So these deeds are the things that drive God's chesed in our lives to be seen by those around us. How you love your friends when they're unlovable. How you love those in need when you don't have what they need, but you got you. How you love your spouse when things are hard. How you love your kids when they're defiant. How you love all those people when things are going great. Not taking for them for granted. Not forgetting, oh, things are great. I don't need to call them. Like, how you love shows the love of God. How you love the stranger. When you pull up that ever awkward moment to a stoplight and there's a dude or a woman standing there with a sign. How do you show love to that? I'm not telling you how. Holy Spirit leads you there, but how you show love to that is God's chesed. How you show love to those that disagree with you politically. How you show love with those to those that uh, want to harm you. How you show love even to those that want to kill you. Now, those last three may not be experienced by any of us in this country, but there are plenty of Jesus' followers around the world that do that every single day. They show God's chesed love, and it turns hearts. So will we be a people that walks around PSL, Stewart, and Fort Pierce showing God's chesed love through our everydayness, whatever it is you do? Or will we be a people that sit in these chairs and say yes and amen and hope someone else is doing it? We have to wake up every morning and decide that. So my prayer for me is that I wake up and I say, this is what I have to do today and it's unremarkable. But God may use that as a seed to plant this beautiful fruit tree that affects thousands. So God, please help me to show my chesed love through my unremarkable life. I pray that you do the same. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this account, for these people that you led to yourself, for these people that did hard things in a time um, that we don't fully understand, but we could see uh, crystal clear the love that you had for them and through them the love that you have uh, for all humanity. The promises that you are making as we are uh, gleaning through Ruth uh, are astounding. And I pray that you 
continue to guide us as we, we see these little kernels of, of promise begin to grow. I pray for everyone in these seats and those that couldn't be here today that they would know the love that God has for them, and it would overflow like the barley uh, that Ruth was given by Boaz and spill onto everyone around them that doesn't know the love of God. And I pray that you remind us that we don't have to be extraordinary to be ministers of the gospel, that you actually love seeing ordinary people do ordinary things, and then your extraordinary power flows through that. So we pray all of this knowing that we can't do any of it without Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider, follow our social media at Grove Church PSL, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.